We got the lifeline here. There we are. Okay, I want to ask a question. And this is with no intention to embarrass anybody, but it's one of those things that sometimes it helps me understand you know, where, where God's taken us to some degree. But how many of us here, how many of you here, say that you pray once a day, at least once a day? Okay. it's awesome. It's a blessing to know, and I wanted to say from the beginning, I'm grateful for um, that thought and, and you guys being able to share it. I do pray at least once a day. I spend time doing that. And how many of us set aside time to pray? You know, like I'll, I'll hear somebody say to me, I, uh, I pray throughout the day. And I'm not, there's no, I'm never going to minimize that because we need people to pray throughout the day. But we also need to have kind of a time set aside, generally speaking, to pray and spend time with the Lord. God does things for us personally in that time. And I'm hoping that I can encourage you to take it to the next level. And if you're, if you're not one who prays, there's, this is the moment we start things. We begin a prayer life because we haven't had one. But we have to understand certain things about it because you know there's a lot of religions out there, right? And a lot of people who are praying to some degree, but they're praying to a God that they don't know, a God that in many ways that they have no relationship to. And, and a lot of times I think when we talk about prayer, we think of it as like this is, the, this is how we get what we need in life from our Creator. But a deeper connection with God is almost lost. I want you to reflect on this thought while I read John chapter 15, verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We prayed for our brother this morning and Jesus made a statement that I fit his, his life and, and us as we pray and consider is Jesus didn't just tell us to pray. He told us to get close to him to spend our days, hours, and moments of life nearer and nearer to the Jesus, not just a figure or a thought of speech, but Jesus himself. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. Father, thank you today that we have this privilege, an unspeakable privilege. Father, we pay, we pay for things that are costly just to be able to have one time, one chance in our life. One opportunity to get this in a lifetime. And we will pay and work years to be able to just get that one opportunity. And yet, you said, and the truth is, there's nothing comparable to what you provide and who you are. And you said without money and without price, we don't come to pay for it. Lord, we never get to merit one blessing that you pour into our lives. But Jesus, I'm going to ask you today to pour a fresh blessing over us. Lord, would you stir a hunger in our hearts for you? 
such a hunger to know You more. Jesus, we want to be Your disciples. We want You to be our lifeline. God, we want to be eternally plugged in, as it were, to our Creator. And God, would You just minister to us what it means to abide in Christ, to live in You, to dwell in You, to our life be all saturated in Jesus. Lord, help us today, Lord, to move beyond the cultural norms and seek Your face like never before. Lord, desire from You and believe from You because You are a God who gives to satisfy Your will and purpose for which You designed us and You created us for. And I praise You today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus is basically saying here in part of this, or at the end of it, is He says you can get what you want. I mean, if I'm just going to get it just as, as raw as form, I would say you can ask and get what you want. But here's something we need to think about. When we can get what we want, that often, in the natural state of man, that actually is the worst thing we could possibly have. Give me what I want, and I will soon destroy myself or work myself to ruin much faster than I would if you didn't. The tyranny of life is the discovery that we are not suitable to get what we want without it being a triumph to darkness. The tragedy is even though we were born with all the moral faculties to do what is right, our propensity is to rise to our own ruin simply by ingesting and digesting. Our wants in life provide for our needs and climb as high as our lust can elevate. We cannot simply satisfy our need we are seduced by the lust that comes with it, even though we must violate conscience to get it. That's us. Like it or not, that's us. By ourselves, now I'm not talking about the Christian faith. I'm not talking about what it means to live for Jesus. I'm talking about that is your flesh and your blood. There is no way that you can receive what you need in life and not create devastation with it. Our needs come with lusts. James tells us that we lust and we have not because we ask amiss that we may consume on our lusts. And so if we're not careful, we invite that into religion in a religious atmosphere as well. And the idea behind it is, is that I can get what I want and all I have to do is make Jesus the means to my end. The heart hasn't changed. And the degree of affection for God isn't there. It's just simply that Jesus becomes a means to an end. And in a sense, Jesus was saying that here. But not fully and completely. And Jesus was basically saying, in connection with me, there is a way to get what you want. Then Jesus wouldn't have said it the way He did. You will ask what you desire. And I want to put emphasis on that. Because today I wonder... How is it that we have an opportunity to pray and seek in and press in toward God? And I said last week, there is, I believe, you know, for those of you who weren't here, that when God is working in our midst and there's this, this gap between the moment I started praying and I, and I received the answer for what I was praying for, what was God doing in that gap? What is He doing? 
He's turning up the intensity level in your heart for what He's about to give to you. See, we look at it as a dimmer switch because the longer we pray and the less we receive what we want, we feel like God's turning us down and I just have to accept that. No, you don't. No, you don't. But we have to remember what Jesus, how He packed this message in for us. And so for a lot of us, we're trying to figure out what's the secret to prayer. If I just find out what the secret is, I'm going to go in and I'm going to pray with that advantage point, and then I'm going to see answers to prayer like I never saw before. And that seems to be the American gospel. Is How do you find the secrets to the spiritual life and elevating your life? But Jesus wasn't giving us a secret here. He was giving us the end game. He was giving us the end game. But let's just remember that the first struggle that we have to deal with is this getting what we want. And out of our flesh, it actually being destructive. Our flesh invites destruction into our life like we wouldn't begin to believe. I think Paul describes that in chapter 7 in Romans when he says, that which I would do, that I don't do. And he says, uh, it's the sin that dwells within me. And he talks about the flesh life. And so just the typical man and woman all on their own has this nature within us that struggles to be able to complement God. We find in this that God has given us one great blessing. What is that? Limited resources. Often we wonder, why is it that I don't have enough money? Or why don't I have the things that I need to be able to do what I want to do and be able to get this done. And we feel like there's this tireless process in life. It's as if I needed more resources and I'm limited in it. But those limited resources are a blessing to the sinful life, to the flesh life inside of us. If I could have limitless resources to live after the flesh, the kinds of endless evils that would happen as a result of it are boundless. So God has given us this as a blessing to some degree. But yet Jesus in this verse is basically unlimiting it. Taking the cap off as it were. Man, I'm so, I am so uh, encouraged to seek the Lord on just this verse alone. I'm really encouraged to seek the Lord. I'm encouraged by some of the things we shared this morning. Because some of them are basically saying God has in a measure delivered to us the secret of this promise. That there wasn't anything that I could have do to rearrange the circumstance, the events, and people's hearts. And yet Jesus did something through that. And I'm recognizing Him. I'm yielding to the fact that God, behind the scenes of my life, is reordering things. But oftentimes, this is what we need to realize is, in this abiding relationship with Jesus, it's not all about the good things. Just remember in Hebrews... It says, those who through faith subdued kingdoms. Wow, that sounds good. Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. That's what the average Christian is living for. We're living for the days of glory. We're living to see the day when I can descend into a, uh, a lion's den and hungry lions are there normally ready to devour and yet I'm not going to be touched by them. I could probably pet them while they look at me, right? The, the quenching the violence of fire. Where, where are we finding that? We're finding that with the three Hebrew men that were there in the midst of the fire and they turned it up seven times hotter. 
And that's the day. But if you'll finish the rest of the verses, those who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, more of her bonds and imprisonment. And others were sawn asunder. So why this unique but very difficult balance? Why does it look like on some ends there's this stress, immeasurable stress where there's persecution and darkness? And Jesus even said, this world you'll be hated. Right? And so I think the secret is in the abiding relationship with Jesus. I think that's the key piece. In light of this, why would Jesus give us such a statement? In light of the tyranny that we would bring upon ourselves, why would Jesus tell us that here's a way that you can get what you want? Essentially, what I would say is, Lord, I know what I would do to myself. Please don't give me a promise like that. Please don't put me in a place where I could just work my own ruin and the ruin of other people's lives. I've watched people, the moment they got rich, they just got worse. (laughs) The more money they got, the worse they got. The measure is not the outward blessing, but there's an inward blessing that makes it so that it's all appropriate and it works. So I I thought I would take some time to just cultivate for you something that might make you wonder um, a little bit more about how this imagery sometimes gets into our life. And so I'm going to talk about one of the wealthiest pastors in America. And I'm just going to give you the statistics. I'm not going to tell you my opinions, my feelings, or my thoughts. But oftentimes I wonder if this is what gets into what we believe. Jesus said, ask what you will and it will be done for you. And so this is what it said in the uh, New York Post. This was December 17, 2021. And it says this, Consider the wealthiest pastor in America with an alleged estimated net worth of $760 million. Televangelist Kenneth Copeland is in hot water after an extensive investigation by the Houston Chronicle revealed how he has been living in a tax-free mega-mansion worth $7 million and paid for by Texas taxpayers. The 85-year-old pastor's house spans 18,000 square feet and is made up of six bedrooms and six bathrooms located in an exclusive lake community outside Fort Worth. And he has three jets. Now, if you really think about this, all of us are in different places in life. Some of us have more money, some of us less. Some of us would be considered rich, even in our field, right? And so all of this is, is this a matter of me trying to bring out, and I want you to think about this, is me trying to spread out this man, Kenneth Copeland, and and speak evil of him or good of him. I have no intention to do either one. My intention is to simply say this, is that our imagery oftentimes is, if if I were to be able to ask Jesus, I would be on the same level as Kenneth Copeland. I would be able to be one of the wealthiest men in, in the world. And I would have to give an account for that wealth. But that's sometimes, that's the measure of estimation of that feeling of, I know that God accepts me when I see more success in my life. 
I see more of what I was looking for and desiring from my own success or desires. And so sometimes we compare ourselves with other people and we're looking for that same kind of vantage point and wondering what it would take in order to receive these same kinds of blessings as they were. If we're not careful, basically what we do is we take these kinds of things into the context and this is how we do our exegesis. Exegesis is simply this, the critical explanation and interpretation of a text. It's what we're supposed to be doing with our Bibles. We're supposed to be reading them and taking into what is it actually saying within its text. Not what is it I'm trying to put within it. And so oftentimes we've been grieved because we feel like when we listen to somebody, they're telling us what they're trying to put in it. I'm trying to do a very careful job today not to read into the words that Jesus spoke. Just to take into consideration of what He was telling us. But what I want to do is this, is say that we look at what we see and we try and bring that into our Bibles. We try and make what the Bible says all about what we see. And Jesus is not telling us in these verses, look at what you see or what you want and make it a part of these verses. This is what He's saying. He's not trying to find a way for us to say, you know what, Lord, I have so many desires inside of me. Can you fulfill every single one of them the way that I want? See, this asking is attached to something. And I have to emphasize this because as I'm longing more and more to just see us as the church. Because if you say, what's your vision, Pastor? What's the vision for us? Our, my vision is, and I think what your vision I hope is, and that is just to be a praying church. But more than just a praying church. But my vision is what's wrapped around the prayers of our church. The prayers that we pray over this community and the, the, praise, the prayers that we have in our, in our own lives. Because I believe there's times when we are going to face something where the struggle is, I don't want to go through this, Lord. I don't want to go through this. And I don't want it to be Your will. And this is the thing. I don't know oftentimes the things we're going to go through are or are not His will until the Holy Spirit shows us, right? we got to spend time with Him. So the return on this investment will result in how we live and how we pray. So getting to know, getting what we want and it not being dangerous. So the first thought is, is just the thought about getting what we want. If we just let man take what Jesus just said and get what they want, we've got a problem. We've got a big problem on our hands. But if we start looking a little bit closer at what Jesus is talking about, we've got one of the best, most incredible promises you can ever believe. One of the most impressive. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely impressive that Jesus is actually almost no strings attached. Getting Getting what you want without it being dangerous. So here I think in this verse, if you abide in me, John chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, that word abide speaks of dwelling. If you dwell in me, stay in me, live in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done unto you. So here I think he's basically saying by the first introduction of these verses, 
It's about the end game. It's about the end game. So the definition for an end game is the ultimate agenda or desired consequence of a planned series of events. And this is obviously not a series of events, but it's the ultimate agenda or desired consequence here. I want to give you a few facts. I want you to think about this. The recent Barna data, so this is in Barna.com, and they actually do research. And this is for Christian polls and research and statistics for us to just get an understanding of where our nation is, where we are as a people. Listen to this. The recent data show that nearly three in five U.S. adults, 58%, report that they pray at least once a week or more. This is a thought. So out of 58%, now 79% say that they're Christian. 58% of that 79% pray at least, not it doesn't say once a day, like so many of us here, and that's a blessing, but they pray at least once a week. Now, <clears throat> Um, I also want to give you one other one here. The first and perhaps most significant change that it says we'll explore is practicing Christians and how much smaller the segment of an entire population. In the year 2000, 45% of all that were sampled qualified as practicing Christians. That simply has consistently declined over the last 19 years. Now just one in four Americans, 25%, is a practicing Christian. In essence, the share of practicing Christians has nearly dropped in half since 2000. So that's, that's remarkable if we think about that, just going back to the year 2000. So this is what I did. I asked myself the question, what would happen if we had on an average... Every the typical Christian prayed 30 minutes a day. Where would we be with that? On an average, the typical Christian, if they prayed 30 minutes a day in one year, would be it would amount up to 182.5 hours, approximately seven and a half full 24-hour days in one year. So if you take 30 minutes a day and you just start packing it into a year, we have we have prayed. And that didn't matter to me. See, that didn't matter. But then I started, I wanted to find one other thing. I wanted to know what's the statistics on the average amount of um, leisure time we have. And the average amount of leisure time for an American, and they said no demographic, no social demographic in any of the circumstances in which they did the research on, that any of them were less than four and a half hours per day on a total. Of leisure time. So that's like packed in, that's just besides your work and all the other things you do, the kinds of leisure that you take. And so this is this is on an average, the American. So this is what I thought about. If I had to calculate the same calculation over the span of a year, it's out of four and a half hours per day, the total would be 1,642 hours in a year. This in turn would equal up to 68 full 24-hour days in a year. This would equal 68 full 24 hours in a year. So, I don't think 
based on those results, did I have any problem determining if this is the state of kind of the church, why we're struggling so bad to be able to find what it means to pray? I wonder if the reason for these statistics that we, on an average, our nation gives four and a half hours of leisure time of day with not even, and I'm telling you, I don't know that out of that 58% that they pray at least once a week that you could average it out to 30 minutes a day. But when I think about this, this not about prayer alone, but if I just thought about prayer as being basically the centerpiece of what's going on in the average person's heart, how much do you long to pray? How much do we want to be closer to Jesus? And so as myself, I think about this on a normal level, and I ask myself this question, how many people feel like that I have too much to do to be able to pray? To really get down and be able to pray. How many of you here would just say, I feel like I'm praying like I want to? I'm asking you to raise your hand if, if you do. Like, I feel like I'm praying as much as I want to. Okay, so we got somebody that's feeling like I'm praying as much as I want to, and I think that's beautiful. So what does that tell us? We, we all pray on a normal basis, but we all feel this urgency for something more. But what if I were to tell you that you're not looking for prayer? You're looking for a, an abiding relationship with Jesus. And the prayer piece of it feels like that's part of the angle of that relationship. Jesus is actually telling us that the end game here is not prayer. And that's what's powerful to me. The end game is not prayer. So none of us have to feel ashamed for how much we are not praying in a sense. But the end game is abiding with Jesus. The end game is living near to the Lord. So I had an upset in my home, and I'm just going to be open. I had an upset in my home, and while I was having that upset in my home, anger hit me, and I felt angry. And um, I remember um, telling my family, I said, I'm just going to step out while I'm feeling this way so that it doesn't escalate. And then I came back in probably what five minutes or something like that. I came back into my family. And I remember feeling like I'm feeling the stirring inside of me. But what I'm realizing is while I'm feeling the stirring, I'm responding appropriately. And I asked, I asked Isaac afterwards, I said, what did you see in that? What did you see? And he said, this is what he said. He said, I felt like you did better, way better at that than I would have. But what I want to address is what I feel like is so important, is I feel like sometimes the stress is, I was listening to a brother that had called to me. There was, a, there was a brother that called me three times this week to get a hold of me. He finally got me. And I told him, I encouraged him, I said, like, I'm, I'm inspired by your commitment to, like, look, keep, keep going, you know, keep uh, pressing in until you get me. Because it's not that I don't want to, it's like that's just the way life is in the moment. But... One of the things that I kept hearing in that conversation is pray and read the word, pray and read the word, pray and read the word. And I thought about something. I was like, if we're not careful, what we do is we, we, we just get more pressure 
about how much of a performance relationship we have with Jesus. And we miss that Jesus is the center of this whole thing. And so what I'm praying here is this, is Lord, I want to embrace you in prayer. I want to get closer to you in prayer. I want to know you more. So if you give me a miracle, I want to know you through that miracle. If I'm going to go through a hardship, I want to know you through that hardship. I don't want to miss the mark and the opportunity to just get a hold of you in this moment. And so sometimes it's about prayer, but don't you realize that it's also sometimes about that moment with your family. Sometimes it's about that struggle that's on it's a whole different field, but I'm going through this struggle that I'm dealing with in the moment. I'll give another one. I remember I was working at the head of the lake and um, my boss at the time, he's very driven. He knows what he's doing. He's doing a great job and I don't know what I'm doing. And I remember feeling the frustration of, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I remember also feeling also the, um, it wasn't humility. It was feeling like I didn't want to be there anymore. I don't want to be here because I feel like one, like you're frustrated with me. Two, I feel like I'm in the way of what's happening. I'm, I'm feeling this emotional. And I remember at one point I even asked him, I said, could you do me a favor? And this was probably weeks of going into this. And I asked him, could you pay me less? Could you pay me less money? And I remember him like, step back, like, what are you, why are you asking me to pay you less? And I said, because I don't feel like I'm earning what, what you're needing. Like, I feel like the kind of work that I'm doing is just subpar in that sense. And I, I feel like, like I would be more earning my wage if, if you paid me less. And I remember him saying, the fact that you show up here every day, every day is worth more to me than the ability that you have right now. And then he said this. He says, I know you're going to pick up skill as you go. And the fact that he was honest didn't mean that I didn't feel like that still going forward. But I remember feeling at times like I wanted to pray, Lord, would you just change him? Would you just change him? And I remember driving to work praying, sometimes either praying that or thinking my prayer that way. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think that's what abiding in Jesus is all about. Abiding in Jesus is that every day, whatever's going on in the streams of my heart and in my mind belongs to you, Jesus. It literally belongs to you. And it's not my prayer life in the morning. It's not my Bible time in the evening. Yes, that's a part of it. And it's a very important part about it. I'm not minimizing that in any degree. But if we're going to abide with Jesus, He's talking about the space of all of our life. So when you're on your phone doing this, and we've all been caught there, listen to me, we're all we're there, and we're watching things, and you're like, man, I feel like in my heart I'm seeing things, watching things, listening to things I probably shouldn't be. And if it's not you, it's somebody in, in and around you and younger Christians that are feeling and struggling with this. And so we're, we're letting time just lapse and four and a half hours of leisure are going by. And within that leisure is this call of Jesus, would you abide with me? 
And at some point, friends, we have to deal with it. At some point, we have to deal with it. Because at some point, there's something about the hunger and being able to fill the need that come together. And so when we're there, sometimes we're not feeling the conviction in the moment, and sometimes what we do is we just let it pass. I know it's there and I'm feeling it, but I'm just letting it pass. And so this is what I'm starting to realize. Just across the board, a flat board, whether you're talking to me or somebody else, when we're talking about what do you feel like you should be doing more, you know what I find? The issue is not on how I f- people feel about it. Like you don't feel like you need to pray less. You don't feel like it's not about feeling more about like you need it more. It's about doing it. It's actually that's what it is. It's about doing it. So, like for instance, I would say, you know, we talk about the idea of sharing our faith with our neighbors and the people around us. And I'm not going to ask for hands because I think this is a part of your relationship with Jesus. But some of us have fear. We have tremendous amount of fear. And we don't say a word to people when we get a chance. You have an opportunity, while there's events during the summertime, to go talk to people. But we've got things going on. I know what it's like. We're working. And I just, well, I I owe this to my boss and the time to my boss. And so we don't share with Jesus with them. Some of us feel so spiritually little, like I just don't know enough that we don't. And why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because at some point you have to confront that. But I have my prayer time in the morning and I have my devotional time. You have got to stop. We have got to stop thinking that that's enough in itself. But I asked Jesus to, I asked Jesus to into this point. But why aren't we letting Jesus in to our life? We're asking Jesus to do some things but we're not letting Jesus in to those areas of our life. Well, I don't feel comfortable. Jesus didn't change His commandments based on our comfort zones. He's not doing it that way. So when the end game is an abiding relationship with Jesus, what we're realizing is, Lord, You're not asking me to come to Your table to give You everything I want to give. Asking for what I want has everything to do with giving you everything you want. Everything you want. And Jesus showed us that the end game was abide in me. I want to share this this, uh, definition for you. For abiding is a union between God and man that remains strong and steadfast in both the hardships and storms of life and the varying degrees of bliss and joys of life. I want you to catch that. It's a strong steadfast in both the hardships and storms of life, and in the varying degrees of bliss and joys of life. All the facts and circumstances of life are relative to our abiding relationship with God, yet providential and sovereign in how we relate to Him through them yet providential and sovereign in how we relate to Him through them. We embrace Him prior to in preparation for. We embrace Him in to guide us through. We embrace Him afterwards to get the closure of. 
in all things manifesting the sufficiency of God as Himself, being and becoming our end game. See, Jesus is not a means. He's not a means. And yet, in some ways, He is. I love how Jesus said, Ask that your joy may be full. And so there's something very powerful about, I have a God who will provide for me. But I love more so. I have a God that wants to be the center focus of my life. And so I'm begging and pleading and praying that in our prayer times, as we just seek the Lord, and I don't know what yours looks like. I don't know what time you set aside for Jesus. And I don't know what your day on a normal scale looks like. I know some of us have more time, some of us less. But what I embrace is the man who works hard and the woman who's working hard. And they said, Lord, I don't have a lot of time. But in your time, that you're loving Jesus in that time. Would you just ask the Lord, Jesus, would you just show me in what I'm doing? Would you show me your heart? God, would you just unveil some truth into my spirit and my mind? Because my busyness doesn't stop me, excommunicate me from time spent with you. And to be able to get more involved with you. Would you open your heart to the possibility that Jesus might have, while you're in your busy moments, just a moment that he wants to take alone with you to pray deeply for somebody. And as we do this, that we move forward in the call of God in our life. You know, as I was challenged with this thought of this, this anger that rose up, and you know, the, even the thought that anger would rise up, it just bothers me all on its own. But one of the things I realized is, is that Jesus is in the middle of this moment with me. And He's in the middle of the moment with us. And we need to take time with Jesus in that moment. We need Him to be able to help us work forward in all of our relationships with man, so that we may again continue to realize and reflect on this is all about an abiding relationship with Jesus. Our thirst for a closer walk with Jesus. So how does an abiding relationship with Jesus prepare us for prayer? Our thirst for a closer walk with Jesus is the end for all answered prayer. You know, the more I thirst for Him, and the closer I get to Him, and every answer to prayer, Jesus, whatever you do in my life, and I'm praying for discernment. You understand that's a part of this is I'm not just asking God to answer the prayers that I give to him. I'm praying for him discernment as I'm praying to Lord, what is it that you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray in this particular situation or for these people? And as you're praying for the direction and the discernment of God, I think it's powerful because that's a part of the abiding relationship with Jesus. Is I don't want to pray my will, but I want to pray the will of God. So this is all, however you demonstrate that in my life, ends in a deeper relationship with Jesus. If everything we did in looking to Jesus was about looking to Him, knowing Him more, looking to Him and being closer to Him, Lord, I want to have a closer walk with Jesus. If that's what it was all about, you will never have a struggle in your prayer life. If that's what it's all about, that's what your prayer life feeds. If I could say it that way, if that's what our prayer life feeds, is in a closer walk with Jesus, you'll never struggle to be able to pray. You'll never struggle in the union and what it means to find the will of God for what you're praying for. 
But what we have sometimes is that song. It says, oh, what peace I often forfeit and what needless pains I bear because I do not carry everything to God in prayer. And what is it that this, it doesn't always mean, as I said before, it doesn't always mean that the difficulties in life go away. But it does mean this, that I have enough substance in my relationship with Jesus that I'm not perverted by any of it and that it doesn't alter but only intensifies my love for Jesus and my gratification in the God that I serve. See, for some people, they're looking for a formula to how to get what they want. And Jesus was not a formula either. I just need to know you, Jesus. I just need to know you. Imagine Jesus when he was there at the tomb of Lazarus, and there it was a dying man, a dead man, and Jesus looks at his audience and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So here we have this encouragement to begin to feed on Jesus as we pray. We're conditioned for prayer based on our relationship with him rather than our status in life. And this is so important that we don't look at an abiding relationship or as a relationship as the groundwork for getting what I want in prayer, but the prayer is getting closer to Jesus. It's not, I'm getting Jesus to get what I want. I'm getting closer. I'm praying for to get closer to Jesus. I'm stirring up a desire to fulfill His will. Our desert places become breeding ground for spiritual growth and prevailing prayer because Jesus is just as near to us. See, if, if I tell you that the end game is prayer, then when you're going through something, you quit. Because you don't understand the desert times. You don't understand the dry seasons. You don't understand the complications. But if I tell you the end is Jesus... The end is knowing Him more. The end is having a more beautiful understanding and the completion of that in your life as He increasingly becomes more everlastingly real to you. Then you understand it. It makes sense. Whatever I'm going through in the moment is just a motivator to live closer to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? That here it is, the devil stirs up things in my life I have hardships. Some of us have gone through some very painful circumstances in our life. And I can confidently tell you that the end game is Jesus. Oh man, isn't that not wonderful as you see Richard Wormbrandt alone in a prison cell, in a dark, closed prison cell. And he finds that there is something and nothing. And then the body is it's just slowly looking like it's decaying and it's dying off. Jesus is just as real. And here we have the Apostle that pens these words to build the confidence in our relationship with God. It's as though this outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I'm learning, Lord, how to live off of Jesus. Lord, You are my source. You are my light. You are my strength. You are my strong tower. Oh, thank You, Jesus. That in you I find life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not what I give is the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I started preaching, but I love it. I love it as we start thinking more and more. And so this is that thing of, Lord, the building block. And so I've been in this, this, this gap. How many of you have been there? 
where you're like, Lord, I'm asking for a miracle. I want a miracle. I'll be blessed by a miracle. But if I didn't get a miracle, and you get stuck in that area. And you know what I think is, you know how you get out of that? When you, when you put it in four-wheel drive and it's all spinning, every wheel is spinning, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if maybe I should be just, just submitting to, maybe the miracle isn't really what God's doing, maybe He's just doing this. When you get it in your mind, when you realize, Jesus, miracle or no miracle, all I want is You. All I hunger and thirst for is You. You just open the way for God to satisfy His will. Remember that. Once the open door is for the will of God, Lord, my heart just wants Your will in my life. Once you open that door, if God wants to give you a miracle, it will happen. That's the beauty of it. I'm not trying to get God to do it my way. I just want His way. And if more of us would just center in on Jesus, just center on the beauty and the splendor of Jesus Christ, and He's still alive today, and that resurrected Lamb of God wants to speak to me, He wants to minister to me, He wants to minister through me, then God, my life is Yours. And I'm just doing this for the church today. You know what I'm doing for the church? I'm just, just speaking to the very groundwork that Jesus has already done in your hearts. You already know what I'm talking about. You already feel it. But sometimes we need to re-encourage it. We need to rebuild it. We need you to just get back home on Monday morning or Monday night, how, whenever you choose to, or all Monday day. Some of us are going to say, Lord, I'm looking forward to the next 24 hours of prayer because I'm excited about Jesus. The preacher stirred my heart today and the Holy Spirit is moving in me. And I've been thinking about how I don't have time and somehow, when Jesus just became the very centerpiece, you're like, I love Him more now. I just left church re-encouraged. And I want to go seek God. And you might be just planning, ah, oh, you know what, I'm going to go plan a day of prayer. I'm going to plan four hours of prayer. I'm going to spend some time alone with Jesus. You know, I've been so blessed because there's been somebody that's been attending here, and that person has shared with me. They said, I've just been worshiping the Lord. I've been worshiping Jesus. And they've been saying also how the Lord has been changing them through that worship. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? I've just been worshiping Him and just lifting Him up. And the, the struggles that I go through in life, that God is lifting me out. And brothers and sisters, that's the key of the Gospel. That's the power of what Jesus wants to do in our life. Is none of us need to be working on this righteousness on our own. They're like, oh, I don't pray enough. Let's just give that up today. Let's just let go of that. That's the worst way we could look at this. Lord, I love how much I'm praying, and I love to be able to get a little bit more of it. I love what you're going to do for me. And you know, you never know in a day whom Jesus is going to invite into your space. You get that phone call from somebody, and they're like, hey, I could ask you to pray for me. Man, I love that. I had one, one day, it was like I had four guys just led up to pray for. I don't get that every day. I don't get it. But when I do, I love every ounce of it to be able to pray with somebody and, and be encouraged by their prayer time. And I had a brother share with me. He said something. He's like, you know what God has showed to me about you? I love that when somebody says that. He said, you're reverent. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, he said you, you set aside time. When, when I'm there, you set aside, you give me your time. You, you let go of all distractions. You just give it to me. 
And isn't that wonderful that God does that for us as we just give Him our time? And I want to say this, that Jesus loves the poorest among us, the one who has the least to give. Let me tell you something in the kingdom of God. God isn't looking for the talented. Isn't that true? Jesus isn't looking for the talented. Jesus isn't looking for the good spokesperson. Jesus is looking for somebody who says, I don't have. I want to share something with you. And then I'll close. I want to share this thought. The secret is an emptiness. The secret in your relationship with Jesus is being empty. You know, in Isaiah 55, it says, Ho, everyone that hungers and thirsts, man, I can raise my hand to that, let him come without money and without price. And that word without just stood out to me in those verses. Come without anything. Then we got to stop coming to Jesus like we have something to offer him. I don't have anything to give you, Lord. If I got something to offer you, I will. I've got bad thoughts. I've got, you know, I've got trouble. I've got a broken up prayer life. I've got a half-hearted prayer time, reading time in my Bible. And even if I, if I could be perfect, I want you to get this thought. If you could be perfect in everything you did, you could spend a perfect amount of time every day in prayer. If that were possible, you could read your Bible and study your Bible a perfect amount of time. Guess what? Still wouldn't be good enough, right? So we don't have anything good to offer him. But Jesus has everything to offer us. And I just want to encourage my brothers and my sisters, find your way through Jesus. Find your way through him and just don't let him be crowded out by everything else. Just let him crowd out everything else. Lord, just come into my life. And you know why I'm saying this? Because here's what I think. Some of us are restless in our minds, but we got a lot to do. Right? I just feel like that sometimes. I was sharing with my wife not too long ago. I said, honey, I'm not sure that I'm not in a situation where if I'm not careful, I'm going to burn out. And this is what I told her. I said, it feels like to me, that there's everything kind of surrounding and i just it just feels like i can't like i can't lay hold and, and organize it and just filter it right and it just seems like i just when i'm i'm done with this fire i've got another fire to deal with and it doesn't seem like jesus is delivering me from that experience and i think i've been really at heart being lord could you just make this go a lot easier for me but I remember one day when I was working in the salvage yard, and I'm going to end with this, I promise. I remember I was working on an old tractor, and I went there and the tire was flat. It was hot, it was miserable, and I did not want to work that day. And I remember hating the thought of it. And then I remember doing this. I remember starting in a song praise to Jesus. And it was like the temperature had changed in my heart automatically. Something changed. And I would tell you that it felt like there was a drop of heaven that came down while I was working and none of my circumstances were so bothersome that it kept me from experiencing the joy of the Lord that moment. Some of us, it's not the work we're doing. It's the stress on our minds. It's the weight in our spirit. It's the heaviness that you're feeling and you need Jesus right now. 
You get what I'm saying? You need Jesus right now. And I'm telling you that He's telling you not to just pray harder, to work more at this. He's telling you, come, I'm here for you. I'm here right now, right now in this moment, and I want you to touch me. Jesus, you notice this? Jesus isn't trying to get harder for you to touch Him. He wants you to touch Him because that's where the rest comes from. Sometimes there's a lot more work to do, but Jesus is in the middle of it. Let's let Him in the middle of what's going on in life right now. That's all I'm going to ask you to do as we close this time. And if you want to take time here at this altar, I'm inviting you to let the Lord have that point. Just give yourself to Jesus. You know, this isn't a time to just tell Jesus what's wrong. It's a time to say, Lord, this is what you're here for. I want you to fill every gap. Every gap inside of my heart. Fill me, Lord, one more time. One more time. All of us have a need. Let's bring that before him this, this, this day. Let's not wait another moment. Let's let him fill the gap. And I'm, I'm absolutely certain. Let's just seek him with all of our heart. You know what? There's no time limit here. Just let me say that. I love the altar call times because there's no time limit. You want Jesus in that moment. And as badly as you want him, he wants to be there. Just give him that moment right now. Let's do that right now. So I'm going to ask uh, Tina to come up. And we're going to sing and worship. But I want you to give God this moment. I'm going to pray for you. Because this is a very important time. Nobody needs to go another moment, another second without filling this gap. And as you feel led, while I'm praying or while she's singing, just come to the front and just give your heart to Jesus. Just give your, you know, we do that when you're like a sinner and we're like, here, if you're lost, come to Jesus. If you're saved today, come to Jesus, right? If you're saved, you're going to go to heaven, come to Jesus. He's got something more for you for his sake. Let's do it today. I need it just as much. So while I'm praying, just respond to the Lord as you feel Him ministering to your heart. Father, today I praise you right now, God. You see every person who's ready to respond. Lord, they're either responding to you in the very center of their heart or they're just asking you, Lord, by coming up forward and saying, Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Lord. But God, this is your moment. Lord, this is that moment, Jesus, where we get to find you. Lord, I am grateful that every day feels like it's a new, it's not a hide and seek, but it's just a. Thank you.